Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back. Thank you for listening to Internal Medicine for Vet Tech's podcast. We hope you guys are doing well and we appreciate you guys joining us back again this week. I am joined by Yvonne, the Hello. co-host. <laughs> and I am Jordan, of course. And this week we will be talking about diarrhea. Oh, yay. All the good stuff about diarrhea. <laughs> I'm sure that's what everybody <laughs> wanted to listen to right now yes. is talk about diarrhea or stool diarrhea. Yeah, definitely. Most, mostly diarrhea. <laughs> Last week we discussed vomiting and we had our question of the week. So do please feel free to still go and comment on any previous questions of the week. We are happy to hear from you guys and we will hopefully be shouting you out as we get more rolling in. And then, of course, answering any questions you guys might have. Yeah. So last week was episode number three. So if you go to internalmedicineforvettechs.com slash podcast, look for episode number three. We have the the question there. Just like Jordan said, uh, we will be going back to those because we are recording before we launch the podcast. So we'll we'll have some catching up to do and we'll do that uh, pretty soon. So definitely go yes. uh, check that out. Diving into diarrhea. Hopefully not literally. That sounds horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) It sounds like OSHA would have a big problem with it. (laughs) Yeah. So the definition of diarrhea is increase in stool weight, increase frequency, and increase water. What that means is not just soft stool, but you see an increase in the amount, the amount of liquid within it, um, and then the amount of frequency that the pet has to go out. But diarrhea is definitely one of the most common reasons clients bring their pets to the vet general practice and specialty. Well, not all specialty, but internal medicine, I definitely would have to agree with. (laughs) Yeah. I I think gastrointestinal disease in general is probably the biggest thing that we see just consistently. Yeah, definitely. When discussing diarrhea, what we want to think about kind of when you see one of those patients on the schedule to come in for diarrhea, go back to your anatomy. So we have the link on our webpage for internalmedicineforpetparents.com and you can go through kind of the anatomy of the GI tract. So you definitely want to know which sections of the bowel you're discussing or you're seeing these symptoms coming from. When you have these clients come in, you want to try to determine the origin for which their pet is having diarrhea. So where is the diarrhea coming from? Small bowel tends to be a larger volume, increased frequency, and watery to soft stools or soft watery stools. And then you see weight loss with small bowel diarrhea versus the large bowel diarrhea. You tend to see a little bit more mucus. You can see blood and straining. And then melna can be tricky because it's not really blood in the stool. The breakdown of hemoglobin caused by the bacteria in the GI tract. So it's old blood. It's blood that you're going to see in the upper GI tract versus the lower GI tract. Yeah. And lower, lower GI tract is going to be more frank blood. So seeing mm-hmm. the, the red streaks in the blood versus melana or the, the black tarry stool, right? That's kind of how we talk about it to clients. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to, I try to explain to clients, like if you're seeing the black stool, then you're looking at a bleed in the stomach or the small bowel. Yeah. 
versus if you're seeing those streaks of bright red blood. And it does make a difference. I mean, it makes a difference in what medications you use. So I think it is a very important thing to write down on your history, on your intake forms and stuff. Yeah. And, it, and it's funny how many clients don't realize that they can actually see that. Um, and they're yeah. like, oh yeah, I've seen the black tar stool for a while. And you're like, oh, okay, well that could explain why your dog's anemic, you know? So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really important to, to make sure that you, you cover that. Yeah. So I think trying to just get that thorough history can kind of help you put all the pieces together. So I know we talked about history a lot in episode three, Mm-hmm. trying to, and these kind of go hand in hand, these two episodes, because you want to try to see if there's any known toxin exposure, any known trauma, any um, chronic issues. So if they do have chronic vomiting or chronic arthritis and they're chronically on NSAIDs and mm-hmm. let me see if I can say chronic one more time, but congenital issues that they may have previously had or previously diagnosed with, like I said, long-term medications and then parasite exposure and travel history. Mm-hmm. Travel history, I feel like is big, especially when we see them, I think in internal medicine, just because stress is pretty big when it comes to colitis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big factor. <laughs> and the other thing too, is, you know, I, I don't know if we talked about this in the last episode, but I like to ask my clients, you know, any changes in the household? Like, did yeah. they move? You know, is, is there a new baby in the house? Is there a new pet in the house is, you know, do we, did somebody move out? Like, is there a divorce? So Mm -hmm. I know sometimes it's, it's difficult for some clients to talk about, but it's good to remember to ask, just be like any changes in the household that could cause stress or, you know, changes in our pets too. Yeah. And I think a big thing to remember though, too, at least I see this a lot where I'll go in and I'll ask all these questions and the clients don't really give me a straight answer right away, but it gets some thinking about, you know what, actually there mm. was this change. And then, so they'll mention it to the doctor when they go in. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great point. It primes the pump almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of going back when you're in that room with the client and trying to obtain that thorough history, you definitely want to just be sure if you can get the basics out. When did the diarrhea start? How long has it been going on? Has, has this happened in the past and have meds helped it? And then of course, eating something unusual, we get a lot of those pets who will eat things out in the yard, preferably wildlife things. And that makes a difference. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, we ask about raccoon, uh, possum, and even just like large animals. So horses and and cows. So yeah, we frequently have those clients who are like, yeah, my dog eats deer poop all the time. (laughs) It's totally normal. (laughs) And then um, swimming too. I think Mm. I know around here we have a lot of that algae issue right now with the blue algae, the green algae. Um, Well, and we have, you have salt water too. We have salt water, but so it's a lot of that like salt water ingestion will definitely make a difference in their GI system and other complications that we'll get to, I'm sure at a later date, but (laughs) yeah. And the opposite of that is standing water. So the blue green, Mm -hmm. blue green algae you definitely talked about, but also there's just all sorts of parasites like Giardia and all that stuff that can be in standing water. And I think people forget about that, but they, they let their dog swim in it. And you're just like, yeah, it's gross. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Asking about that is, is big too. Yeah. Cause I, I don't think people realize that like even something just as swimming isn't in like a little pond or drinking from a little puddle on a walk is like going to be a 
game changer and it could be it could be yeah and then diet change oh i have a lot of those clients who are like my dog gets bored on this food and just switches it up every now and then but that can be an indication that either they have food aversion something else is underlying there could be intestinal inflammation which we'll kind of get into but can cause them to not want to eat and just discussed it in episode three as well with the vomiting where if a cat's vomiting or they get sick while they're eating a different diet that gives them food aversion so they want to switch but switching diets too often can definitely be detrimental and i don't know about you but i have those clients that are like oh they get bored with it and it's like does the dog get bored with it or do you equate food to love and yeah <laughs> you don't want them to eat the same food for their their entire life because you would be bored with it i yeah i think there is a lot of that too my my parents my own parents are like notorious for the well i got what was on sale <laughs> oh <laughs> like, my god <laughs> So, so no gradual transition, uh, just no <laughs> straight switch over. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We try not to discuss it anymore because it's just like in one ear and out the other. Yeah. Maybe they'll listen and they'll be like, oh, <laughs> they're not going to we'll listen see. to this podcast. Don't worry. It's fine. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, my parents aren't going to listen to it either. So yeah. Right. I think the one thing I get a lot or I try to get a lot when I'm getting a um, thorough history is the color of the stool orange, green, brown, black. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the, the main color changes there. And then consistency. A lot of people will, I don't need to know specific odor. It just is helpful if the odor has changed. If now at one point it wasn't mm -hmm. noticeable and now it's like clear in the room. Yeah, yeah. It's extremely noticeable, but pictures help. I'm <laughs> not opposed to looking at poop pictures. Yeah. It does get a little excessive when they get emailed to me frequently though, where like when they're normal and I'm still getting poop pictures and I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had one of your own pets just have like a chronic GI thing, but you become very obsessed with it and you're like, oh my yeah. God, today's a happy, normal poop. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that much anymore, but at one point I did and and I yeah. definitely understand why clients are sending me happy poop pictures. Yeah. And I'm like, great, thanks. But I do think it makes a difference on like the appointment though, too. Like mm -hmm. if, they, if they come in and they're like, well, it's kind of like this weird coppery color. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, is there blood in it? And they're, they're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. There could be streaks of blood in it or it could just be orange. Yeah. So pictures do help. We have on our website, the internal medicine for petparents.com. There's, there is a page that is like, you know, it, how to know if your pet's poop is normal. And, the, and it talks about the different colors and the consistency. Um, I don't know if you guys use the fecal charts. No, not really. I, I only use it for certain clients. I, don't, I definitely yeah. don't use them for all, but sometimes if they're having a really hard time describing it, I'll grab that because we have it in the drawer in the, in the room. And I'll be like, what is it on this? And they go, Oh, sometimes yeah. it's between this one and that one. So it, it is a good tool to use. I think we probably could use it more often, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a tool but, in the arsenal. Yeah. And we can definitely direct the clients to the, how to know if my pet's poop is normal page. Yeah. <laughs> um, so can our wonderful general practice friends who are listening, hopefully. Yeah. And then of course, any other symptoms, the general symptoms that kind of go along with GI distress, like decreased appetite, anorexia, vomiting, regurge, straining. Yeah. Straining, straining, straining. Nothing's coming out. That's always fun. Yeah. We, so. <laughs> we had a dog that came to see us because every time it pooped, it would just start screaming 
And yeah. uh, we went in, and we found a stricture. So, I mean, obviously, yeah, that's, yeah. that's something that needed to be fixed. Cause the poor thing, like every time it tried to poop, it was just like really painful. And then there'd be blood afterwards. And we're like, okay, yeah. something's not right here. Yeah. The pain yeah. is definitely not a good symptom no, to have. No. And, and no. dogs will kind of be weird about the pain, right? So sometimes they'll do the scooting thing. Sometimes yeah. they'll do the licking thing or they'll just like look at it really quick and be like, Oh, what's, what's going on back there. So, Oh, I love that. But that usually means that my dogs have something sticking out of their butt and they're yeah. like freaked out by it. <laughs> or they just farted and they're like, Oh my God, where'd that come from? And you're like, that was your butt. Farting is a symptom too. I was so. just going to say, uh, the farting, the excessive borborygmus. Um, we had a dog with really bad EPI and we can talk about that in a minute, but it just was not digesting properly and it just was mm-hmm. burping and the burps would be really foul smelling and farting yes. and just gurgly, gurgly guts. So that's something too, that you can ask the owners, you know, do they burp a lot? Do they fart a lot? <laughs> yeah. Well, and take like, your yeah. stethoscope and listen, yeah. you know, I think that's huge too. Cause like there's some patients, at least that come in through us in the ICU who like just have severe like gastric distension and those dogs need an NG tube and suction. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all, it's all actually a lot of technical fun. I enjoy those <laughs> patients, <laughs> right? Just because I get to use my skills, yeah. but <laughs> those poor dogs are so uncomfortable. Yeah. So kind of going into the differentials, you mentioned EPI, which is exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Yep. Yes. So exocrine versus endocrine. We'll have to get into that next one. Yeah. (laughs) But I like, we'll get into the diagnosis of that though too, but Tamman has a good panel for that. IBD, of course, which is inflammatory bowel disease. We see a lot of that in uh, internal medicine. Mm. Then you have like the allergies. There's a lot of food allergies out there, not necessarily the grain-free, gluten-free diets, a lot of it's a protein allergy. Mm-hmm. Um, and parasites, like we talked about infectious diseases. One thing I did learn recently was vegetarian diets and vegan diets don't actually have supplemented cobalamin in there. So when you're testing mm. for low B12, um, and you suspect that they're having chronic GI issues, but they've been on a long-term vegan diet, their cobalamin could be low. Oh, interesting. So if they are on a vegan or vegetarian diet, they should be supplementing with B12. Hmm. It's it's interesting because when we're talking about inflammatory bowel disease, the I think the newest consensus statement, and I'd have to double check it. Well, I'll try to find it and we can put a link to it in the notes. It talks about the first thing you want to do is deworm patients because yes. just because we have a fecal float with no ova or parasite seen at the time, right? Cause you never want to say it's negative because there could be worms up there that aren't shedding at the time that we do mm-hmm. our, our fecal float. So you want to do, you want to do that, but we deworm because we, we don't see all the, the eggs necessarily. So deworming is big. The diet trial making sure that we try the diet trial and see how they respond to that. And it's a strict diet trial. Um, we can, we can definitely have an episode just on diet trial and how to do it appropriately. We, we talked about it. That's a a big one that needs to be like communicated with the clients, like no treats. (laughs) Yeah. And it's hard because again, people, people say food is love with their animals. So yeah, you know, cutting out everything except for the food for some people is just really difficult. Or, you know, I always feel super bad for people that have little kids at home. 
kids mm-hmm. are just like, I'm going to throw this goldfish at, at Fluffy because oh, it I know. makes me laugh, right? So <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine trying to do a food trial in my house. Yeah. Like it, w- it would be impossible. Yeah. So I mean, I definitely feel for him. Yeah. We were on vacation and like we didn't have the dogs with us and the kids were like dropping food left <laughs> and right. And I was like, what is this mess like, that wait. I have to clean up? <laughs> like <laughs> the dogs normally do. Why is this happening? Why am I stepping on a popped? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the food and then if, if deworming and the food trial isn't working, you know, then doing endoscopy to get biopsies, which we can talk about in a few minutes, but, but we want to deworm and try the food first, because if that's there, you're going to have inflammation in the guts. So you want to rule out those things Mm -hmm. before, you know, getting more in depth. And I, I want to say I saw that consensus study and it said that the majority of inflammatory bowel disease can be treated with just diet change. Yeah. So that is definitely nice. But I mean, I think going back to like, do your basic like fecal float, do your basic lab work, rule out Addison's disease, renal mm-hmm. failure, liver toxins, liver disease, other issues that could be causing diarrhea. I, I don't think a lot of people put diarrhea with like Addison's and stuff, but no, which is funny um, because GI signs are like one of the biggest parts of Addison. I know. Yeah. I think every time we like have any sort of GI case, one of the first things we run is a cortisol, yeah. but <laughs> we'll get into that yeah. as well. And, and re- I, I, we talked about it last episode too, but just, just as a reminder that heart disease, um, so heart disease can also cause diarrhea and a uh, gastric upset. So we talked about kind of like the baseline lab work fecal, including the fecal exam, assessing hydration status. So that's where doctors will do it too. But technicians, like those are your skills, do it, like lift the gums and do that crit time and, and do the skin tour turger and, um, you know, check to see if you feel like they're visibly dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Um, cause a lot of these dogs too, especially if it's been going on for a while, you have that Friday evening appointment of my dog's been having watery, bloody diarrhea since Sunday afternoon and now it's Friday evening and we have to get it taken care of. Right. So especially if they're not eating. (laughs) So we run, we talked about this again already before, but I'm going to touch on it because I do love the test is the GI panel at Texas Mm A&M. And that kind of goes in. So it's TLI, PLI, cobalamin, and folate testing. The cobalamin was the vitamin B12. So that, like I said, that can be low in certain diets. And then obviously if they have excessive losses going out, um, excessive fluid losses. That's a water soluble vitamin. It's, it's kind of gone. And then you throw in not eating well on top of it, they lose that B12. And if it becomes severe enough, they actually won't get better until you start supplementing the B12. Yeah. So you can be throwing all the metronidazole and provable atom that you want, but all they need is just a little bit of B12 to get that back to normal. Well, and the other thing to remember too, is if you've got severe inflammation, the, the body can't absorb the B12. And so, you know, it may be that, and and that's why we do vitamin B12 injections because we, we bypass Mm -hmm. the guts and get that in there. And then, you know, some pets can turn transition to oral B12 supplementation, but some may not be able to just because they have such severe gut disease that we just have to supplement it with the injection. And we'll put a link to you on the recommendations from the GI lab, but typically it's, you start with a once a week injection for six weeks and then mm-hmm. go to once a month. And then usually what my doctors will do is um, do that for a few months. And if people really find it 
you know, they, they don't like doing the injections. What we do is right before the next one month injection, like the day before or the day of, mm. we draw blood and check their cobalamin level again and, and see, you know, do we really need to keep supplementing or can they stop? Or, or it's, it's totally fine to keep supplementing because it is a water soluble. So the body will just yeah. urinate it out if it doesn't need it. Um, but if it needs it, it needs it. Um, and you'll, I, yeah. And it's, cheap. yeah, it's, it's really it's cheap. It's, it's a once a month, hopefully injection. We've actually, I don't know about you, but a lot of our clients say that they can tell when they're due yeah. for it because yeah. all of a sudden their, their animals energy level and their appetite just tanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I, I feel like the B12 is like such a simple fix, but it can tell you so much. Cause if that test comes back low, like, you know, B12s, uh, absorbed in the ileum, mm -hmm. which again, go back and review the anatomy. But so if, if that's low, you either have inflammation there, which could be, I mean, how I see a lot of lymphoma cases that are strictly like small bowel yep. and just their B12 is low, but everything else is normal. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously just B12 won't fix that, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but it does make them feel better, right? But, so you get the chemotherapy on yeah. board and you get the B12 on board and they, they feel immensely better, which is great. Yeah. We supplement fully here and there. It's probably about half of like when we have normally low B12, like we supplement fully occasionally. And that's from the, uh, the proximal intestine. So yeah, that I like that GI panel. I don't see folate nearly as much as, as the others, but it, it definitely is there sometimes. Yeah. I don't think it's, yeah, it's definitely not as much. It's just, I do like that test because it can tell you so many different parts of the bowel that are mm -hmm. diseased. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, cause low TLI is that trypsin lice immuno, immuno, what is that? Trypsin. Trypsin like immuno reactivity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like TLI. It's a long yeah. <laughs> so, and that, that's that test that can indicate for EPI. So if that's low. Yeah. Again, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We could talk about EPI in an episode too, but basically what it is, is the body is no longer creating the enzymes to break down the food. Mm -hmm. So you get the low TLI because the body's not producing it. And so easy, easy fix is supplementing for that. And yeah. Uh, but, but it is a big deal because they're not digesting properly, so. which I'm sure once we get to that episode too, the powder is better than the tablets to supplement that, but we'll get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then it kind of leads into, so say all of your lab work comes back normal. You want to do contrast studies. You're still going to be looking for possible foreign bodies um, that have just kind of migrated, but not far enough. Or I, mm -hmm. we've done this before in general practice. There's like a suspected foreign body. Do a rectal. If there's diarrhea, just do a rectal first before you do anything else, because mm -hmm. this dog ended up going to surgery and having a sock in the colon. And <laughs> we just end up pulling it out via finger versus surgery. Oh, so thing, nice. things can Jeez. get overlooked. So even if you're the tech just holding, just be like, Hey doc, you want to do a rectal real quick just to check for anything? Yeah. And, and it's interesting because, um, oh God, I, I'd have to double check this, but I think there's the paradoxal diarrhea Yeah, where it's kind of that idea where there's something in the way, like, um, it could be like really hard stool. Mm. It could be a foreign body, but the body's able to get diarrhea. So soft stool around it. Yeah. 
and, and it's a problem. So again, rectal or an x-ray or something like that to see if there's anything in the way yeah. that's causing the diarrhea to go around, but there's actually something obstructing it. So yeah. which is it's like the body's it's, wonderful it's, way of being like, Hey, <laughs> you still need a poop. Right? But yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a mass there. We got to, we got to get this taken care of. Exactly. I personally yeah. like ultrasounds again, cause you can, it's so cool to just see like the wall layering and like the thickness and you're like, that's super abnormal. It's super thick. Yeah. So ultrasound is definitely a huge tool when it comes to like yeah. GI disease in general, especially if you're like worried about lymphoma. <laughs> yeah. As I see the other thing. So you're, you're looking at the, the structure of the of the gastro or not the gastric of the intestinal walls, like the different layers, but you're also seeing like the movement mm-hmm. of the intestines. And so, you know, we, we do a lot of ultrasounds for our emergency department and it's like, is it a foreign body or is it just gastroenteritis? And yeah. so with gastroenteritis, you're just seeing like it's swooshing back and forth. And it's like, there's so many peristaltic waves pushing things. And uh, we always joke, we're like, Oh God, stay away from the back end. Yeah. Well, you know, don't, don't push too hard um, (laughs) because sometimes you push and things come out versus like, you know, if it's a foreign body, we'll see like the dilation Mm -hmm. right behind whatever the object is. And we're like, Oh, there it is. So ultrasound, it really can tell you a ton of information. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Well, it looks for, you can look for ileus too. So if you do need that, like Mm -hmm. nasogastric tube and stuff like that, I just, I do love ultrasound because you can see masses. If there's just like one specific thickened area and you're like, we need to aspirate that. And it's, it's great. I do love it. And then endoscopy, we always, we always try things before trying endoscopy right off the bat. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we discuss with clients too. Like, let's try this first for a month, see how this goes. And then if it doesn't work, then we'll do endoscopy now before we kind of get too far in that once starting steroids and endoscopic procedures and biopsies don't always come back as accurate once those have been started. So we do try to inform clients that if you are still considering an endoscopic procedure, let's try to do that before we start steroids. And it's hard because sometimes we'll get a consult from the primary Mm -hmm. vet and they're like, well, we, uh, we started steroids last week and you're like, Great. Yeah. Well, uh, that makes things a little bit harder to diagnose, but you know, okay. They're feeling better. Okay. It's like one of those things where you're inflammation or is it cancer? We don't know. Exactly. You're like, well, we could do a scope and we might get an answer, Yeah. but it's a little bit less than our normal. We might get an answer. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. Most general practices probably aren't going to have scopes. Um, so, but you know, if, if you ever get a chance, if you do work in a general practice and you want to see it, you know, reach out to your local specialty practice and see if you can just hang out with them for a day. Um, because I, I find scopes super fun. I do love scoping. I, we always have the one person monitoring anesthesia and then the other person that's helping the doctor with the scope. Cause the scope really, you can't do it by yourself very efficiently. So the doctors usually, well, my doctor's kind of the driver. Yeah. And then we do the biopsying. So we're actually running the instrument through the scope and getting samples. So it's, it's a very tech intensive process, which is is also very definitely, especially if you have like the two techs. So you have the one helping obtain biopsies and then you have the one monitoring anesthesia. Like those are your Mm -hmm. skills. That's, That's what you're there for. Yeah. So it is, it is super nice to be able to do those things. And then of course, as a tech, I'm sure, especially in general practice, you can do contrast studies. We don't 
do them as often in internal medicine. I was going to say, we don't do them because barium will ruin a scope. Yeah. So we don't, we don't do barium in, in our department. I've seen a couple of cases in emergency where they'll do it because the owner, you know, doesn't want to do ultrasound for some yeah. reason or, or they came in from the primary vet with barium already yeah. in them. So I definitely are, used a lot more barium in, in general practice. I think in general practice, we definitely do the, well, I think it's an option for clients to know that they can do outpatient care versus inpatient hospitalization. Mm-hmm. And it also depends on the status of the patient. Like obviously if hydration status is pretty severe, um, we should definitely try to recommend hospitalization. Now, again, a lot of clients can't always afford to do this. So in my opinion, giving them like the best option, like number one option is like, this is what we strongly recommend. But like, Mm -hmm. if we can get away with some of these other options, we offer first recommendation first. And then if that doesn't work, like try to communicate as to what might work a little bit better financially, or some clients just don't want to leave their pets at the vet um, for personal reasons. So, and that's fine too. Um, So inpatient care versus outpatient care, I think is a pretty fun topic. (laughs) so yeah i I, we tend to see if if a patient is transferring from the the emergency department they usually are at the point where they need to be hospitalized yeah versus like if we're just like you know we're doing an ultrasound and we're like ah yeah you know some gi upset that's it yeah you know that's more outpatient care but if it's transferring to us it's usually because they're hospitalized and then consults most of the times can be outpatient care yeah, it's a, because they've waited a while to get to that appointment anyways. Yeah. Right. It's a usually, it's usually like a pretty well-defined line. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. There's not really that like gray zone. It's more of just a matter of like, if you can talk your client into doing inpatient hospitalization. But I think yeah. when it comes to like managing a patient with diarrhea, it's, I figured we'd focus a little bit more on the inpatient part because with the outpatient, they come in, they complain about diarrhea and you kind of send them on your way. Yeah. So. <laughs> those are, those are your long-term clients usually in internal medicine. You're like, yeah. okay, outpatient care. Great. Well, let's see what we can Yeah. Do. Your outpatient care consists of communication and trying to find out like how things are working, but your inpatient care is going to really kind of revolve around hygiene. Yeah. Um, I think we see a lot of like, butt sores. And, um, Mm. especially when you get that, like you get those patients who just aren't really getting up much and like, they're just oozing. That ooze is wonderful. Yeah. It's like a, it's a fecal scald, right? Where it's just on their butt and they're so raw and you're cleaning it, which also makes it raw. So we use, we use like an ointment. Yeah. We use silver sulfadizine. Yeah. I was going to say SSD. I, I call it the super sour cream, <laughs> silver sulfadiazine. I like super sour cream. Yeah. I like to shave <laughs> as much of the yeah. hair as I can. It's like a hot spot. Like you shave it, you yeah. clean it really well, you dry it. And then I do a lot of tail wraps. So like vet wrap their tail all the way down. So especially goldens, like with all their long, yeah. luscious flowing hair. But yeah, like we also have like a barrier spray. So like if for some reason mm. we... I feel like the cream might not be good enough or it's not bad enough for the cream yet. Then I'll spray mm-hmm. it with a barrier spray and it just like protects the skin from fecal. 
matter. Yeah. And we also use, um, A and D ointment. Yeah. But we just make sure it doesn't have, does it zinc? Yeah. I think, yeah. You're making sure it doesn't have the zinc in there because of zinc toxicity cleaning and, and keeping it a dry and as comfortable as possible. Yeah. And the one thing about tail wraps, just make sure you're checking the tail. Oh yeah. Because I've seen like tissue necrosis from uh, a tail wrap yeah. being on too long from a primary vet. And I was like, Oh yeah. We, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> we make a point to really, well, we change our tail wraps daily usually anyway, yeah. or multiple times a day. Cause they get kind of covered in poop. Um, or yep. they slide off or they get wet from butt baths. And <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. um, but yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point is to just be sure it's just like a bandage on a leg. Like don't wrap it too tight and don't leave it on too long. Um, yep, exactly. They yep. have Myla makes them. They're like, like a urinary catheter, but a butt catheter, um, <laughs> like a fecal, it comes with like a fecal bag and it's just like a Foley. Like, so it's like a, a wide bore catheter that you can slide up there and then you inflate the balloon or fill the balloon with water and then it like but this these are only good for like liquidy diarrhea like once the stool gets soft and cow patty like you can't really use them anymore but yeah it like Uh. it keeps the patient clean and it keeps the smell trapped and you just like throw the bag away (laughs) like it's oh my god i've not used this but i saw this recently on facebook there was a a vet tech group that they shared a picture of it and i was like what is this thing? But, uh, I, I can see for the liquid diarrhea that just projectile comes out. Yeah. But or it's just like, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. And the other, I mean, the other cool thing, not just for sanitary reasons, but the other thing is you can actually have a better idea of their ins and outs at that point too. Yeah. Because you can, you can weigh the amount of fecal water that is coming out and, and yeah. replace it if needed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, so I will put a link to them cause I found the website so you can order directly from Myla. I think they're like $60, but the main yeah. thing with those is like, you gotta be sure. Same thing with the tail wrap. Like you really want to be conscious of like necrosis. So you got to deflate the balloon and rotate and then reinflate. So it's not just sitting in one spot mm. and applying pressure to the colon in one specific area for five days. So because you don't, I mean, that that would cause stricture and necrosis and all sorts of bad stuff. So. It's like more internal yeah. medicine problems. Okay, <laughs> <Hey>, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. You, I think we've talked about this before. You've done these before, like a fecal transplant. These yeah. That's the right word, right? What is, what is your definition of fun? I don't know about that. It's my sarcastic uh, fun. Okay, good. Because I was like, no. We've done, I would say maybe a handful. A couple of years ago, we this was like the craze that everybody was talking about. The issue with it is you have to find a fecal donor that yes. is, has really healthy guts. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have to screen for all the stuff that you want to make sure that's healthy getting into. And we had, we had one patient that was really successful with it and actually ended up having multiple fecal transplants just because after the first one, did not have diarrhea for about two months, Nice, but then it kind of came back and then they did another one and it, and it worked. So yeah, for some patients, I can see that, yes, it would work. So (laughs) 
in case you're wondering what the heck a fecal transplant is. So basically um, what we were doing is you take the healthy, it's usually a dog. I don't, I can't imagine a cat. No. I guess you probably could. But you also have to be sure that these dogs have not been on antibiotics for six months. I think it's six months. Yeah. There's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff because antibiotics change your GI biome, right? You get the fresh poop. It's gotta be fresh poop. And then what (laughs) you do is you, you put it in a blender and you add some water to it and you make poop soup. It's what we called it. The poop soup. It's like a specific measurement though. It's like, it was great measuring out the poop and then like measuring the water and then putting them together. Our doctor wasn't quite as precise with it. She was just like, it was a consistency thing more than anything else. And then we sedated our pet that we were doing the transplant on. So sedated them so they don't move. And then you take your poop soup and a really long catheter, like a red rubber catheter, go up the butt infuse all the poop soup into the butt to the colon and then we we used a tampon yeah so you close the close the rectum so nothing can come out and uh, i think we tried to keep the poop soup in for about 20 to 30 minutes yeah that's what we did too yeah and the idea is that the good gi bacteria from the healthy dog gets transplanted into the unhealthy dog and i think this really came from from cows because they they had the you know the port in the side that we all looked at when we were in tech school that was pretty cool (laughs) you're like holy moly you're putting your hand in a cow and so i think that's kind of where the idea came from and also in human medicine this is a thing but in i I couldn't do it in humans because i think i'm pretty sure they do a gastric tube down the mouth into the stomach. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure yeah. they infuse in the stomach. I couldn't. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Which I mean, for people, I think that I, I can't do people stuff anyways. Uh, but dogs, dogs eat poop. So there's that as well. Yeah. I just think, yeah, there's, there is some theory that going into the stomach, the, the gastric juices can you know, kill some of the good bacteria. Yeah. So it, it's, it's hard. We also, we had one or two patients that responded really well and then others that didn't. Yeah. So we ended up um, not doing it nearly as much. Yeah. Um, we kind of use but, it as a last ditch effort. We've had those like severe PLE yeah. patients who are just not responding to meds anymore and they're just getting sick um, yeah. or sicker. And so we do it, but we have a designated blender. We have a designated strainer. <laughs> like we have, yeah. that's fun. fun. Gloves, masks, yeah. goggles. That's all like necessary when doing that. Especially, um, depending on who you work with, because we had one doctor, she, uh, yeah, she, <laughs> she did not put the lid on before she plugged it into the Ooh, wall. My God. And, and oh my God, it went over many a shelf and so she was no longer allowed to do that yeah (laughs) (laughs) and she wasn't allowed to touch the blender afterwards and then from then on we always did it in our like run area that we could hose yeah right that you could like yeah (laughs) because that was disgusting to clean up it was it was I couldn't oh god I couldn't imagine if that went everywhere it's like it's kind of bad enough just having to like try to infuse it into another dog's butt because we've we've never sedated them for it because our patients that we try to do it on are so sick um mm. and so they're usually just lying there anyway unfortunately uh, with a tampon on their butt yeah we've we've used fullies 
to like inflate and then uh, yeah. yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> so off the topic of fecal yep. transplants so that's kind of like our in hospital tips of like just main thing is just keep them clean like the best way you possibly can and sometimes that takes one technician dedicating themselves to managing that one patient for the day and cleaning them up every 15 minutes mm-hmm. it sucks but we we all do it it's the best thing for the patient so yeah um and then for the outpatient care like i said it's mostly client communication make sure that they understand the medications that they're going home with make sure that they understand what results they should be seeing and if they're not seeing results then definitely have them give you a call. I have so many clients call and be like, well, what if they become constipated? And I'm like, don't stress about your dog not pooping unless they're straining to poop and nothing's coming out. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a big thing. I I always tell my clients, I'm like, look, they probably weren't eating great to begin with. So they're not producing as much, but we also completely cleared out their system. It's going to take a few days to to yeah. build back up so they have normal stools. And again, as long as they're not straining, as long as they're eating, yeah. they're not vomiting, we say give them I usually tell them yeah. 3 to 5 days. I'm like it's fine. 3 to 5 days. If if after that there's issues, let us know, but most of the times by then yeah. they're pooping. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and to go along with that when when they go home, a lot of times they're going home with a a bunch of medications. So you know, having a way for them to keep track of it, making sure they get it is, is good. So like the journal, like the, the one month journal or yeah. the six month journal for them is, is a really good idea to help keep track of it. Well, especially if they are those clients who like take notes on like what their poop looks like for the day. Is it cow patties? Yeah. They can put comments in there and just be like, this is what the stool looked like, you know, and, or you can give them the fecal scoring. Yeah chart right and be like tell me what it is and you can write it down in the journal that's really yeah, big can, um for clients because then they feel like yeah, they're doing they're something, doing something too, and so. then it makes it easier for you because they can just email it to you and you can scan it right into their record it's, it's yeah. great i mean it's like here's my communication yeah. to this client here's what they're doing and you know you don't have that like well i'm giving you the i'm giving the meds that you told me to give and i'm like we told you to give like six so <laughs> right, <laughs> which ones are right. you still on <laughs> <laughs> Are you giving them yeah. according to the dose? Like, so I yeah. do, I do think that journal is a really big help as to like trying to keep that line of communication a little bit more simple. And then of course, mm-hmm. like just trying to find out like after stopping the meds, I think it's super important. Like if you're not going to schedule a yeah. recheck, like it's super important to at least put in a follow-up call. Be like, we gave them a 10 day mm-hmm. course of metronidazole or they're trying two weeks of Thailand or or something, you want to put in that callback for when they're supposed to finish it a day or two later and just see what happened. Are they still doing well? Are they still eating? Um, do we need to move on to something different? Do we need to move on to a food trial? Do we need to add in probiotics? I use a bunch of different probiotics. We talked about this a little bit too. I like Visbiome. Mm-hmm. It's refrigerated. It's mm-hmm. more expensive. So not everybody likes it, but it's easy to buy online. So we don't have to sell it. There's, is that the VSL? Yes. VSL number three or something like that. Yeah. Oh, the, the capsules. Yeah. 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 So there's a new one out the VSL. uh, They have a new veterinary product, Mm -hmm. um, veterinary specific. The, the, the issue with that one is you can only get it from a veterinary hospital because it has to be refrigerated, but it, 
it is specific for veterinary versus some of the VSLs. They don't have the same gut bacteria because that's technically it's for humans, which our bacteria is a little bit different than um, dog and cat. It's just one of those things that we just have to know. Yeah. Yeah. We use um, also like, so because the VisBiome can be so expensive sometimes for people, we use a lot of like mm-hmm. Proviable, Proviable Forte. Yep. Proviable, you can buy on Amazon. So we have a lot of our clients get on there, but the Forte, you have to get through a vet clinic as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then recently, I think my sequence fairly new-ish, but it's it has like the same count of bacteria as like Proviable Forte. I think it's like 10 billion or something like that versus the normal oh, 1 billion. One. Hmm. It's a chewable okay. tablet is kind of what it breaks down to. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Versus like the typical capsules or the paste. I don't like the paste. Most pets don't like the paste, but it's in theory loads the the guts yeah. and then you follow up with the capsules for the proviable. Yeah. 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 So the other, the other part of that, so we have the probiotics, but there's also prebiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the big ones that we think of is like fiber um, is going to be the prebiotic that helps. It's the food for the bacteria. Um, there's some new diets out there that have some of the prebiotics in there. So it's just something to kind of keep in mind um, as well. Yeah. And it's like and fiber, wonderful... fiber is a good thing. Yeah. And it's that like wonderful suggestion you can make to your vet about like, Hey, what about trying this? Definitely don't be afraid afraid to speak up. I think that's why hopefully people are listening is to kind of broaden their knowledge and then be able to speak up for their patients and be like, I I love doing that personally, just because like, it's nice to not really step on toes, but to be like, Hey, what if we tried this? And then your doctor's like, actually, that's a great idea. I didn't think about that. They're so smart. Like our veterinarians are so smart that their brains are just like engulfed with like (laughs) all the other knowledge that sometimes like things can get overlooked, like simple things like well, let's just try this new ID food with this biome in it. And like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, so, or test for B12. But I do think aside from kind of what you are recommending your clients to do and discussing with your veterinarian, like discuss the long-term goals and like the risks that you can see with like chronic diarrhea that goes untreated. Mm -hmm. So you do run the risks of PLE or protein losing enteropathy um, can occur if you have severe diarrhea going on for so long. Low B12 can actually lead to um, some neuropathies at times, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think people realize because it's just a vitamin and it's a water-soluble vitamin. It doesn't seem like much hydration status, malnutrition. A lot of those things can occur pretty rapidly, especially if it seems... We all have those clients who... I don't see my dog's poop, so I don't really know like they go outside <laughs> and they do their business and then they come in. So unless they have an accident in the house, it's, it's one of those things that like, unfortunately, sometimes do get overlooked where you have an outdoor dog who the owners just aren't really paying close attention to. They care. Or they just multiple dogs. Right. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know which ones did what. So yeah. Yeah. Those multiple dogs are really pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> you mean when you have like five dogs in your house? Yeah. Is that what you're it's like, about? how am I supposed to know who's eating and who's like pooping and doing all the stuff that they're yeah. supposed to do? Well, and, and to go along with that is multiple cat households. Yeah. Um, that's really difficult. I, half the time, I don't even know what comes came from what right. animal. And I have two cats. So I think, 
I think just kind of learning to keep the lines of communication open with your clients and your doctors, just make mm-hmm. suggestions. Don't feel bad by like suggesting, suggesting something to your veterinarian, like to maybe try next, because again, at least the doctors I work for do tend to appreciate it. So it is, it is nice to feel appreciated. That's what we're there for. So yeah. <laughs> don't feel bad about it. We talk about this. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do a shout out to some of my nutrition peeps. Um, every pet, <laughs> every time, right? We, we should be looking at the food and making sure they're getting the nutrition that they need because you, the malnutrition can occur from this, right? And you can see mm-hmm. severe malnutrition with these kids, both from vomiting and from diarrhea, um, because everything's going out and not absorbing. Cause mm-hmm. it's, again, most of the times it's a gut disease versus, you know, you've got your short term, but I mean, chronic it's gut disease. So yeah. we need to pay attention to that. It's the tip of the week. Uh, so this week's this week's tip of the week, we have the Myla Gold Catheters. So I I've never used them. I'm interested to see if our clinic would use. I I don't even think we have them. So I think this is also going to be a tip for me is to check into them and see you know about potentially using them in our clinic. And then barrier sprays, creams, just to keep things clean and not have the sores that can be associated that just, you know, the red, the red baboon, butt. so um, keeping that to a minimum. I think, I think those are some good tips to take away, especially if you do your best to kind of maintain hygiene in a patient, but it's just, you're like, I need that one extra little thing to help kind of heal it faster. Yeah, exactly. And now for the question of the week. So our question of the week this week is going to be what is one of the craziest diarrhea or poop stories or experiences that you've been a part of while working in a vet clinic? I know everybody has one. Um, I know everybody (laughs) finds poop in their pocket. (laughs) So (laughs) I know that there's something funny out there that you guys want to share with us. If you want to leave us a comment on internalmedicineforvettex.com, we would be happy to hear from you and hopefully shout you out um, our next episode. Yep. So this is episode four. Um, and so internal medicine for vettechs.com slash podcast, and then look for episode number four, share your answers. You know, if you have a tip that, you know, you want to share that we didn't cover, that'd be great as well. Let us know how those Myla butt catheters are. Yeah. <laughs> you use them. yeah exactly. <laughs> And then um, we will also include resources again in the show notes. Um, so you'll definitely get a chance to see that. We'll also remember we are creating a, a checklist for you guys for getting history because diarrhea history, you're, you're going to get a lot of information from it. So um, we'll include that as well. Definitely. All right. Well, I think, I think that's it for this week. Anything else that you want to share before we uh, take off for the day? Nope. I think just keep listening. Like I said, comment, try to get in touch with us. If you have anything specific you want us to talk about or share, or if you want, again, share any of your stories. I love hearing them. So (laughs) um, just reach out to us. Yeah. And you know, share, share with your vet tech friends, let them know about the podcast. Uh, Most of us have at least a little bit of a commute to work so you can listen to something and feel a little bit smarter and join in with what we're talking about. And then I believe next week um, we are going to be talking about pain management in our veterinary patients. Mm -hmm. So stick around for that. Yeah, I think, I think that's it for this episode. All right, you guys have a wonderful week. 
keep being the most amazing technician you can possibly be. Get your learn on and we'll talk to you next week. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.